Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us part of your day. Let's talk through today what is going to be happening here on the program. We're going to be talking commodity markets in just a little bit. We're seeing the soybean market catch a bid this morning. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk will fill us in on what's developing in the markets. And then in segment two, we're going to talk with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Cattle policy continues to heat up in D.C. Ethan recently worked with hundreds of cattlemen there on the Capitol as they were talking with legislators. And then in segment three, we're going to keep the focus on this cattle and beef market going. Lance Zimmerman, the senior cattle and beef market analyst with Robo Research, will be joining us, taking a look at the fundamental factors here underpinning this wild cattle market. But we're going to bring our focus to the grains first. Joining us now is Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. And Garrett, it appears as though the commodity trade has a little, a little more wind at their back today than they did yesterday. We're seeing a rebound here in the soybean trade. What's caught the traders' attention? Well, we've got a lot of, yesterday, you have to remember, it was May Day, so half the world was on holiday, so it was a thinner trade yesterday. Um, but I think the trend in beans might have been set last week. Um, you know, if, you're, if your most bearish uh, input in the beans complex was how cheap the South American or the Brazilian soybean offers were, and they're exceptionally cheap, uh, you know, they're starting to firm up here a little bit. So the discount, the risk of... Uh, uh, potential imports, I still think that window's open, but if the, the South American FOB premiums are starting to firm up here as, as their farmers start to slow selling, then that becomes less of a, uh, a bearish input here. The other aspect is we had, uh, we had two in industrial reports yesterday, the first of the month. Uh, we had the, the U.S. corn ethanol number and we had the U.S. Uh, uh, soybean crush number. We had a record soybean crush. It's it's a tale of two cities here. Is is uh, soybean crush domestically is is extremely strong, and in corn ethanol grind is is kind of lackluster. And uh, um, you know I think that ultimately that it's it it supports soybeans over corn for the short term here, while corn still has a bit of a demand problem. But uh, beans are, are at least trying to gravitate higher here a little bit. And, and I think that even eventually corn, the, the, the spreads here, the old crop, new crop spreads have been firming. The major lies are, are, are telling a story uh, of, of tightness, farmers in the field. Um, I think that, that ultimately will lend some support here. All right, we'll continue to watch that. Garrett, you mentioned that soybean cash basis down in Brazil starting to firm as those, uh, as those farmers uh, finish their harvest sales. How much firmness does the trade expect to develop down there in Brazil? We've heard so much. They've got too many beans they can't store. They've got to sell. Have we crossed that threshold? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a perfect storm, you know, a very similar to, you know, when we had that big barge freight run up here in the U.S. that pushed bases down at harvest. Um, but, you know, I would say at this point compared to last week, and we you still have Brazilian beans offered at a dollar five under the board right now. So uh, that's but that's about twenty cents better than what it was this point uh, last week. But a combination of things: uh, big crop, lack of storage, credit issues. 
Um, you know, some of these farmers are, are moving products because uh, interest rates on, on loans are, are in the double digits uh, down there. So kind of a, a perfect storm of things. It's a, it's a buyer's market. And I've even heard that, you know, the, the, uh, the Chinese offtakes are slow, and, and they, 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 they are. Um, but I think that ultimately with these prices, you're going to see uh, China pick up their demand because if you look at the, the anecdotal data on the post-COVID reopening, uh, a lot of a lot better traveling uh, travel numbers out of China, flight numbers, that sort of thing. Um, but whether that translates to more demand, it's going to take some time. But point being, um, I think the biggest risk for the U.S. market is that Brazilian beans are so cheap that we're going to see more imports. And while we've only had, I think, two instances of potential imports in here, uh, one that was reported about a month ago, and then uh, I think there's a Reuters story here a week or two ago about the shipping lineup showing some, some bean cargoes, uh, the arbitrage opportunity is there, and that's one thing that will potentially loosen up the U.S. S&D tables, especially when we've got such a record crush going on here. Absolutely. It's great to see that demand for domestic beans holding strong. Garrett, I want to turn our focus over to the wheat market. Chicago wheat in the green today. Is that market getting close to, to seeing a bottom, even if we're not finding it yet? <laughs> that's a, that's a million-dollar question, Mike. You know, it just it, it, it seems like the reaction to anything is so wheat, and, and it seems like when wheat can't get any cheaper, it does. Um, we had an escalation of the, the, the violence in Ukraine and Russia over the weekend, and we come out and we saw we, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think the big thing is, is, is the market kind of might have digested the rains that moved across the southern plains. Crop progress yesterday afternoon did confirm a 2% improvement in ratings. Even though you look at the hard red wheat country, it didn't really improve that much. It was mostly improvements in the P&W. And actually, maybe a surprise, a big drop in the Illinois soft red wheat conditions. But uh, at this point, it's still a world fob game. Uh, Russian wheat on this gas tender overnight was... Uh, it was around 260, and remember we were talking about a potential, you know, de facto floor at 275. Uh, so, I mean, uh, potentially we're breaking down this floor unless this freight market uh, comes in a lot cheaper than what it, than what we expect. But um, I, it, the, the fund seems content on selling this wheat market. I don't know. We've thrown the gambit at it as far as things that could potentially be bullish. Um, but uh, it, it just does not seem to find any end in sight. We traded we traded front end beans under six bucks for the first time since March 2021. So that's past the war. That's 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 two years ago. Uh, uh, it just it just cannot find a bottom. Hopefully one comes soon for those wheat producers across the country. Garrett, you mentioned the crop progress numbers out yesterday from the USDA. Corn crop well ahead of last year. Is this putting some prevent plant risk in the rearview mirror? Uh, we're cautiously optimistic. I think last time we spoke, I mean, I think market, you know, we talked about how the market was, uh, was watching it, but not really concerned. Um, and it, it's, it's alleviating things. Yeah, nationally, we're still ahead of average. I mean, 20, 26% nationally. Actually, I take that back. We're, we're tied with the five-year average. But uh, those northern plains are still being watched. Minnesota is only 5% done. South Dakota is 1% done. North Dakota is, un, is, is unplanted on corn, but it's, it was as of April 30th. So, um, you know, we still have some time. You know, I think that uh, the next 30 days will be – 30 days from now we'll have this conversation. We'll have a better idea. All right, Garrett. Are you seeing any moves on this new crop corn market the producers should be taking advantage of right now? Any hedges you want to get in place? 
At this level, not really, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that uh, you know we're well below the cop insurance prices here. Um, you know, it's it's May second. Um, if you were aggressive on sales, uh, it might be an opportunity if things get a, it get too much cheaper uh, to reown against your crop insurance guarantees here at some point. But um, I'm not really interested in doing anything here because uh, for a lot of producers, we're at or below break-even levels. Let's watch that weather, see if we can't add a scare back in to afford some marketing opportunities to producers out there. This morning, we've been talking with Garrett Toy of Ag Crater Talk. Garrett, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. 
Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Today we are going to be talking about cattle policy. This past week saw hundreds of cattle producers swarm into Washington, D.C. to advocate for their industry. Joining us now for an update on that legislative conference is Ethan Lane. He serves as the Vice President for Government Affairs there at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Ethan, how was it seeing all those cattle producers in D.C.? Mike, it was awesome. You know, we've had a couple years off during COVID and kind of trying to restart. Uh, and we had one of our biggest legislative conferences ever last week, more than 300 cattle producers in town from across the country, meeting with their representatives, talking to each other. Uh, we did our ESAP awards here in DC last week. So a great chance to talk about the exceptional conservation work that our producers do. Just an all around fantastic week in Washington for the cattle industry. And, and we were just so glad to have it back. Well, and Ethan, this is a, a year when there is no shortage of issues floating around in Washington, D.C. that could absolutely impact cattle producers here across the country. I'm sure those were top of mind for those folks coming into D.C. What was the big issue for producers landing in D.C.? What were they hot to get out and talk to their legislators about? Well, you know, it's a farm bill year, so obviously that's kind of at the top of everyone's list at the moment. They're hearing a lot from the Ag Committee. You know, Chairman G.T. Thompson has covered more ground than any chairman I think I've ever heard of talking to producers around the country, asking them what they need from the farm bill. Um, and, and so that was right at the top of the list for everybody. You know, we want to make sure that we uh, keep moving forward on funding that FMD vaccine bank. We want to make sure those conservation programs, those voluntary programs that are so important to our producers uh, are well funded and, and targeted uh, where we need them to be to, to keep those working lands working. Um, and we want to make sure that you know, we protect the money that's there for risk management programs. That's been a real uh, uh, light spot, especially for cow-calf producers, risk management options. Um, so making sure that there's adequate funding available to support those programs as well. Um, and, you know, always keeping bad ideas out of the farm bill, Mike. It's a, it's a, it's a breeding ground for folks to try to take advantage of the process. Uh, you know, the animal liberation groups, the animal rights groups are trying to upend American agriculture as part of this process. 40 of them were in town last week having their week of action to remake the food system. I guess they think we're all going to, you know, grow, grow rooftop gardens and that's going to be enough food to feed the world. But um, there's a lot on producers' minds wanting to educate uh, the Hill about what they need to continue to feed the world and do it with the lowest environmental footprint the world's ever seen. Ethan, you know, it's interesting you bring up that, that the farm bill can be a, a place for bad ideas to come to fruition. Of course, this is the, the time every five years we open the doors and and take in ideas on policy issues. And when you think of the bad ideas that might be floating out there with regard to this farm bill, are there any that, that really stick out that producers need to be alert to? Oh yeah, the top of the list is called the OFF Act. It's the Opportunities for Fairness in Farming Act. And it's anything but that. Uh, it's led by Cory Booker, a vegan senator from New Jersey. This is a guy who is committed to, to ending animal agriculture uh, across the world. Um, he, he has partnered with Mike Lee, a Republican senator from Utah who should know better, um, but just has 
has it out for for animal agriculture for whatever reason uh coming from the state of utah with a ton of animal agriculture you'd think he'd be a little friendlier to farmers and ranchers but the guy just the guy just hates ranchers and and so he he has partnered with mike lee trying to to gut the checkoff system in the country not just the cattle not just the beef checkoff but all of those commodity checkoff programs across the country this is a top list item for the animal liberation community the animal rights community um they don't want animal agriculture to be able to promote itself um so that was one that's really at the top of the list uh, they're trying to deceive republicans and and make them think this is somehow a republican issue which it's anything but um but but that's one that's really on the top of everybody's list and one that, that, that we talked quite a bit about last week uh making sure uh, folks on the hill understand um just what a scary situation this is when when folks are misrepresenting uh th themselves as somehow you know connected to agriculture when in reality they're 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 activist extremists that are trying to shut the industry down ethan what were the conversations like with with legislators who haven't signed on to this bill the the folks that those cattle producers went there to see when the off act came up how what was the response in dc does it sound like this has legs on capitol hill this off act it, it doesn't and, and and there aren't a lot of folks that have signed on to it most members of congress are smarter than that um, you know, there's been some new developments. There's a group called Freedom Works that used to be a Republican group back in the Tea Party days. And the animal rights community has kind of taken it over and they're sort of pretending to still be a Republican group. And they're banging out all these talking points about how checkoffs are, are, are somehow a, a Democratic plot, um, which is, you know, ridiculous. But um, educating a lot about that so that so that members of Congress aren't misled by this group that's that's really kind of changed its stripes. Um, here in the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they're more aware of that than people give them credit for. We had a lot of head nods and a lot of folks saying, oh yeah, we're onto the scam. We understand who the con artists are. And we wanna make sure that uh, we're in the right spot to support America's farmers and ranchers. You know, this isn't just a beef industry issue. This is blueberries and soybeans and you name it. It's the entire uh, ag economy. Um, you know, that, that has these types of programs that are producer driven, producer funded um, and, and serve to make sure that, that there's a voice that is promoting and, and doing research on behalf of these these food sources that's that's uh, that's truly looking out for the industry's best interest. Um, so you know this is a this is one we can't afford to rest on our laurels on. Ethan, if it doesn't have too many legs in Capitol Hill, why are we talking about it? What are the concerns? How could this come to fruition if there isn't that support on the Hill? You know, when you look at the internet, you look at social media, you look at the environment that we're in, there's so much bad information. There are so many people out to deceive, to mislead. You just can't take any chances with the truth. You can't assume that people understand the difference between true, real information and somebody with an agenda. So even though, you know, this isn't this isn't one that has uh, uh, a lot of legs, you don't want to take any chances. You want to make sure you educate. You want to make sure you get on the record with your with your member of Congress that, hey, you know, I'm a cattle producer. I support the beef checkoff. Um, you want to make sure those messages get through. Too often, they only hear from folks that are upset. No one calls their congressman and says, hey, I'm really happy with how everything's going right now. They don't get those messages on a, on a, on a regular basis. But, um, you know, we've had more than 2,500 letters sent to the Hill on this in the last 10 days. Uh, producers out there are anxious to make sure they get their voices heard here. Let's turn the focus here, Ethan, to the environment sustainability issues. I know those are certainly top of mind for producers here across this country. What was on tap from that segment of the ag economy there at the legislative conference? Oh, you know, there's there's a lot going on in that space, particularly out west with our with our uh, BLM and Forest Service permittees. Uh, you know, we, we're seeing a new a new rule from BLM that would seek to create 
uh, a space for conservation to be a permitted use, basically, just like grazing. This is something that, that the environmentalists uh, over at BLM have been working on for quite some time to kind of hijack that permitting system and start to uh, to to push ranchers off of those grazing allotments. Um, it's it's the the furthest thing from conservation because you need those ranchers in there grazing both cattle and sheep to make sure you're beating down fuel loads for for wildfire and protecting wildlife habitat and all the good services that that uh, ranchers provide out there. This is kind of that group of conservationists. And, and, and radical environmentalist that believes that you just lock the gate and hope that nature heals itself. Um, so, so that's one that the, the Western affiliates were really uh, spun up on last week and really trying to educate a lot about. And then, of course, we're seeing kind of a relentless march of a lot of these Endangered Species Act listings, rolling back a lot of the good work that was done in the Trump administration to get uh, a handle on some of these critical habitat designations and things like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're, we're watching the Supreme Court still. WOTUS then a decision on that front is is imminent. Um, and that's one that, that producers are always wanting to know the, the latest on and, and a lot of conversations up on Capitol Hill about what might happen if, if we don't get a, a, a ruling that curtails that that WOTUS rule. That is a great point. You know, I'm glad you brought up that conservation as a permitted use, because I think for a lot of us in the ag industry, when we think about conserving land, we just, or at least in my case, we assume they mean with animals on it doing the maintenance. If this land is permitted for conservation use, are they going to have to go in there with machinery to keep it clean and burn fossil fuels? Well, that's the problem, right, is, is conservation in the minds of a lot of those folks means preservation. And what they mean by that is lock the gate. So whether you're a hunter, whether you're a rancher, um, you know, whether you're doing anything like that on, on federal land that's managing, actively managing those resources, um, they're, they're sort of at odds with that. They, they want to just kind of lock that gate and, and hope for the best. We know what happens. You get catastrophic wildfires. You get invasive weeds like cheatgrass that take over those, those ecosystems. They push out native grasses. The fires burn hotter than they would normally. Um, you know, it's fine for the environmental community to say, well, that's just climate change that's making them burn hotter. No, it's the weeds and the amount of them that's making them burn that hot. And the result is you, you literally deplete the nutrients in the soil. So what grows back doesn't look like what was there before. You have to have those grazing animals in grazing environments to keep that ground healthy, to make sure that we're sequestering as much carbon in the soil as possible, to make sure those native grasslands come back to make sure we have habitat for the wildlife. You simply can't achieve those goals without us. So uh, this is a big one. It is indeed, and it's up to those livestock producers to tell that story in Washington, D.C., just like those at the Legislative Conference. Our thanks to Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll be talking more cattle with Lance Zimmerman of Robo Research when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. 
As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Well, we've got some mixed action in the grains today. Corn is trading slightly higher after prices reversed on Friday and have been trying to work higher since. Yesterday afternoon, the USDA released their crop progress report, which showed corn at 26% planted, which is in line with the five-year average. Iowa is at 29% complete and Illinois at 40%. In soybeans, they're higher again, which would make it the third day in a row if the trend continues. Export inspections were good and domestic demand has been robust. The USDA reported that 19% of the soybean crop is planted, which is well ahead of the five-year average of 11% for this time of year. Illinois is at 39% complete and Iowa is at 16%. Both soybean meal and oil are higher and supporting soybeans. Soybean oil continues to work higher despite declines in crude oil. The fats and oils report from Nash showed both soybean oil and soybean meal stocks down 7% from a year ago. And the wheats are mixed after last week's rain in some of the southwestern plains was not enough to significantly help the winter wheat crop with the USDA reporting an increase of only 2% in the good to excellent rating to 28%. Now the port of very poor rating for winter wheat increased from 41 to 42% with the ratings for Kansas even worse increasing from 62 to 64%. The USDA said that 12% of the spring wheat crop has been planted. That's below the five-year average of 22%. Former temps this month, though, should help increase that number, but a lot of prevent plants are likely. Strong winds blew through the Midwest yesterday, causing dust storms, and one in Illinois caused a 100-car pileup. Now, there are currently red flag warnings in Minnesota as well, and some of that snowpack from the north has melted and melted down into the southern Mississippi River area. Barge traffic has been closed along the Mississippi due to high water levels impacting the already slow export business. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to 
WAOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past month, one of the most compelling stories in the world of agriculture has been the rally in the cattle market. Over the past few weeks, we saw that go nearly parabolic to the upside as consumer demand stayed strong and supplies were cut across the countryside. Over the past week or two, it has seemed as though the cattle trade was trying to catch its breath. And this seems like a great opportunity to get a zeroed-in look at what these traders are watching here as we get into summer. Joining us now for that upgrade is Lance Zimmerman. He's the Senior Cattle and Beef Market Analyst with Robo Research. And Lance, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me on this morning. You know, it really seems as though traders are watching this market. It seems like things are, are kind of trying to catch their breath. Lance, what factors are traders weighing out here this week in the cattle trade? Yeah, you know, as you talk about what's happened in the cattle market, what we got to appreciate is the cattle market from a futures perspective has been on a rally for darn near a full 12 month period now. Uh, we really are talking about a market that has been near straight higher since May of last year. Had a few setbacks here and there along the way, but it's been a really good run. And so when we think about Chicago, when we think about our trader friends in the marketplace trading the paper or, or trading the electronic futures, I guess I should say these days, um, they're interested in, in probably taking some money off the board. You know, it's it's a situation where they recognize the seasonals in these markets. They recognize that as more calf feds come onto the market from the north here over the next several weeks, the cash market's going to start to come under pressure. We're going to move to more abundant seasonal fed cattle supplies as we navigate through the late spring, early summer. And that'll be the, the end of the, the short term good news for the cattle market. Doesn't mean it changes one thing about the long-term fundamentals. And I think you're seeing that uh, even with the softness over the last three trading sessions, including today, uh, the April futures of next year have only pulled back about a buck 50, buck 75 as of this morning when I saw it last from their highs a couple of days ago. And, and so as we look at this, uh, I think the market is still very bullish overall, but they recognize that short term, there's just a few headwinds that are facing cattle producers that, that aren't necessarily the same uh, headwinds that we're seeing from a demand standpoint. Demand is exceptional. Supplies are still going to get tighter. And so overall, cattle are going to stay very well supported, even amid this short term correction into the summer lows. All right. A short term correction into the summer lows. Lance, you keep an eye on a lot of issues moving in the cattle market. So I'm curious about that seasonal impact here this year. We've seen so much of the country impacted by severe drought. And then we've seen feedlots in the north just inundated with snow for the past six months. Is there a possibility that the seasonal trend this year could be different than we've seen in the past? And if so, how or what's the trade anticipating? No, that's a, a great question as we look at it. I think analysts, including myself, we came into the start of the calendar year talking about a, a cash-fed cattle market that would put its highs in somewhere you know, in the mid, maybe low 170s. I don't think any of us anticipated seeing that uh, target adjusted 7 to $10 higher uh, when we put in uh, on a U.S. average basis, highs just above 180. Uh, and so now a lot of us are sitting back and kind of reassessing our calculus, so to speak, and trying to understand, hey, do we do we surpass these highs again as we go into the fourth quarter? Because that was kind of our expectation across the board as market analysts that, you know, the spring highs would be good. They'd be great. We'd have a pullback and then we'd exceed those highs going into the fourth quarter. Again, knowing that we're going to have a 5% decline in beef production uh, for the year and, and that gap's going to be wider at the end of the year than it is today. Now you have to sit back and say, gosh, 
with demand as strong as it's been, uh, with the consumer as willing to spend as they are, is this a short-term blip that we're benefiting from today? Or is it is it a longer run trend that we need to count on going forward? Because as we look at the markets, yes, demand is down from a year ago. In fact, as you look at year to date wholesale beef demand, it's down about 7%. But what we have to remember is January through April last year was the strongest wholesale beef demand in that period in the last 30 years. So saying we're down from last year is still the second highest demand through the first four months of the year in the last 30. Uh, and so going forward, do the consumer headwinds pressure this market more? And that remains to be seen. But I feel very confident that we can at least revisit these highs again as we get into that fourth quarter window. And I'm still of the opinion that if demand holds up at levels we're seeing today, that we can't exceed those highs going into that fourth quarter window, generally speaking, in that that late November, early December time period. Well, that would be some good news to some of these feedlots still looking out there buying this high priced corn. And I'd like to, Lance, zoom back in on that demand conversation. You mentioned demand is down about 7%, but we're also seeing the slaughter drop down. April kill down substantially from year-ago levels. Is that yep. what's driving this elevated wholesale beef price? Are we able to match, I suppose, the processing capacity with consumer demand reasonably well still? Yeah, I mean, when we look at what's going on from a slaughter perspective, weekday slaughter looks very comparable to the last several years. Yeah, we had a pullback in April, right around the Easter holiday season, as I think packers were willing to uh, allow some of their, their labor to have a break through that holiday period. We had some major processing plant uh, disruptions last week and hearing some disruptions potentially again this week that I think are just short-term blips on the radar. Um, but as we go forward, uh, most of our slaughter decline has been pulled out of Saturdays. Uh, going forward, we will start to see weekday slaughter soften, um, but I don't think it changes anyone's expectations going forward into May, June. Those are always our biggest slaughter months of the year. That's my expectation still today uh, that we'll still see increasing slaughter, albeit at smaller levels than last year, without a doubt. Uh, but as we look at it, and yes, look at those supply declines, that's certainly led to some support in this market uh, in terms of middle meats, uh, prime and choice grading product in particular, going right into this grilling season. Uh, packers are having to, to work hard to fill those orders and, and keep uh, buyers happy and satisfied with the level of demand that's out there. You know, while we're thinking about the level of demand here, Lance, let's talk a little bit about what you've seen for wholesale choice, uh, choice and select boxes. You mentioned that that demand for prime and choice, the spreads between the premium meats and, and the selects has been huge. Is that a trend that's continuing here into the summer? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's been phenomenal, Mike. As you look at what's going on from a spread activity standpoint, and just a case in point, uh, as we think about the choice select spread, usually we put in that low in the first quarter, usually late February. Um, we've had years where on a daily basis we've inverted that spread in late February. Contrast that to this year. Our low on a weekly average basis in March was $10. Uh, it's sitting there today, uh, basically just short of $20 a hundred weight on a weekly average basis and trending higher. And it'll trend higher all the way into that late May, early June period where we typically peak demand for beef. Uh, and it'll probably be north of $25. If things get really wild uh, in these middle meat markets and buyers really have to step up to the plate in the spot market to fill short orders, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a choice select spread approaching $30 at that time. 
contrast that with the prime choice spread, uh, it's not quite as juicy as maybe we're used to seeing. Usually those highs come in the fourth quarter. Uh, if you remember last year, we had a prime choice spread on top of $90. Um, right now, it's basically right on par with where it was a year ago, right there in the low 30s. Uh, but it's going to increase from this point going forward into those fourth quarter highs. And, and I think we're going to see a situation play out where 70 to $90 per hundredweight will once again be the norm for the prime choice spread and maybe even higher if some of these grade dynamics continue to whittle away at that supply. Wow. Okay. Could be a staggering uh, picture here in the meat case as summer goes on. Lance, we're talking about record cattle prices. And of course, we truly live in a global commodity market. The record prices American farmers receiving are being telegraphed around the world. Are you expected to see beef production or cattle production increase globally over the next year or so? That's what's wild. You know, when we think about where the U.S. sits from a beef production standpoint, we're a global powerhouse. You can't talk about global beef production without talking about the U.S. Uh, you usually throw in, for good measure, Australia and Brazil. And after you throw in those three countries, you have the bulk of global beef production right there staring you in the face. As we look at those three countries today, the U.S. is the main one pulling back. We know very well what the cattle cycle means to us at this stage in the production system. Uh, we can't get enough increasing production out of Australia and Brazil right now to offset the declines coming in the U.S. market. And so for this year, global production will be just slightly higher than last year. Um, but then going forward the next several years, the declines in the U.S. will be substantial enough that we'll see year over year declines the next several years in the global market. And again, depending on the, the recessionary effects, globally speaking, uh, as long as we go through a, a situation where it's a mild recession globally, that, that's generally speaking, good news for beef demand going forward, especially in light of those declining supplies. Well, in light of all of that, you mentioned long-term demand looks good. You're not seeing that April of next year contract fall nearly as fast. Lance, is all of this predicated on the economy continuing to percolate along? Well, and that's what's interesting. I was just having a conversation with some meat buyers last week. And you look at that April contract, and it's essentially priced in a high so far, just short of 180. That's where fed cattle prices traded in a cash market just recently for the highs. And so the market's actually being very tentative relative to the demand side of the equation, because we know it's a given that supplies are going to be tighter next year. So all else equal, prices should already be higher looking into next April compared to where our cash market traded today. Uh, and so as we look at this going forward, I would tell you that there's still upside in these futures contracts, uh, even out to those deferreds into next year, uh, simply because I think the market is is sitting here and posturing with a, a more conservative stance looking ahead. They're uncertain about this economic outlook, just like the rest of us are. Um, and, and so I think going forward, if we get more certainty relative to the demand side of the equation, uh, we can continue to build on some of the price movement we've seen this year, albeit maybe not quite as high uh, from a year-over-year -year gain perspective as we've re experienced recently. All right, that makes sense. Lots to watch here in this cattle trade as the year goes on. Our thanks to Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Beef and Cattle at Roblo Research. Stay tuned for more AOL. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. 
and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we we are are the Foundation foundation Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Dan Maurer with the CHS Government Affairs Team in Washington about the future of E15 and legislative efforts to permit year-round nationwide sales. Dan, thanks for joining us today. And tell us, what are the benefits of year-round E15 availability? First and foremost, the benefit of E15 is going to be a lower price for consumers. It's been shown many, many times around the country within uh, the E15 footprint that it routinely sells for for about a dime less per gallon than your traditional gasolines. And in these days, when gas prices are still pretty elevated, that extra dime per gallon can make a real difference to people's lives, especially if you extrapolate that throughout a full year. Can you tell us a little bit about CHS efforts to support renewable fuels broadly and E15 specifically? CHS is really engaged in this conversation. I would say, first of all, we are board members of the Renewable Fuels Association. We do sit on their board, so we use that opportunity to talk with other ethanol producers and other uh, like-minded individuals uh, through RFA. We are members of Growth Energy, another large ethanol trade association. But also, CHS is very much involved in the conversations around a legislative solution to year-round E15. How can expanded E15 use support the government's carbon reduction initiatives and help the rural economy. Expanded ethanol use biofuels in our fuels are going to decrease carbon emissions from our transportation sector. That's why CHS is really pushing the Biden administration to increase the use of ethanol within RVOs to pass year-round E15 because the green goals of this administration really align quite well with increased ethanol use in our transportation system. Folks, that's Dan Maurer, member of the CHS Government Affairs Team in Washington. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Mike. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, 
and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Gentlemen, over the past three years, due to the expansive drought across the Southern Plains, dust storms across the Texas and Oklahoma panhandles in western Kansas have been very present. We've commented on them a lot as those large clouds of dust have been visible at times on satellite. Well, those Central Plains states aren't the only ones that can see dust storms. Yesterday, Monday afternoon, there was a dust storm in Illinois. High winds coming from the northwest, blew soil off of tilled fields as the, the dryness was just enough to have that top layer of soil be dry. And that dust blew over Illinois, excuse me, Interstate 55 south of Chicago. 72 vehicles crashed, 30 have been injured, and six so far are reported dead in that accident. Kansas Highway Patrol has issued a reminder to everyone about dust storms and how to handle it. If you see the road covered with dust or smoke, they advise you to get as far over to the side as you can, remove your vehicle from the roadway, and just park until the dust storm abates. Continuing to get more information, the authorities in Illinois are still working to identify some of the victims as of this morning. We'll continue to update as we learn more from that devastation. We've got other stories here coming from Brazil. In fact, there has been a lot of news out of that country here in the last four days. First and foremost, we've got an update on ag real estate in Brazil. Now, we have been talking for the past three years about the incredible climb of farm real estate values here in the United States. It seems as though we're setting record after record nearly every auction. And, well, down in South America, things aren't so different. According to a recent report, cropland prices in Brazil have doubled from nine, from 2019 through 2022 in a four-year span. Land in Paranal, one of Brazil's top soybean-producing states, now carries roughly the same valuation as an acre of soybean-producing ground in Illinois. Land in Parana is worth $8,417 versus an acre of soybean production ground in Illinois, valued at $89.50, just about $500 less per acre to buy that farmland down in Brazil. Now, uh, Gary, Gary Schnitke of the University of Illinois, Nick Paulson, Jim Baltz, and Joanna Colusi were the ones who compiled this report, and they note, quote, although farmland prices have increased all over Brazil, the southern states stand out, with most land prices above the national average. As I mentioned, Brazil had a number of headlines. Land values were one. The other two major stories to come out of that country in the past week are cattle 
related. We've talked a lot about the Brazilian beef industry on this show. Of course, fresh Brazilian beef is allowed for import into the United States even after they had their BSE cow. But folks down in South America have been objecting to Brazil's practice of live animal export. And several animal rights groups have sued varying aspects of the Brazilian government over their policies about exporting live animals from the country of Brazil. And a federal court yesterday handed down a jury that would ban live animal export from Brazil. Now, it's worth noting that beef export is a booming business in Brazil, and the Brazilian industry is expected to challenge this. Most Brazilian live beef exports happen to other countries in and around South America. Those uh, animals are put on vessels, and they are freighted around to wherever they need to go. As of now, that is on hold. We will see if that industry does file an appeal, the Brazilian court would allow that, though they have not said as of yet if they will be. The other story percolating in the Brazilian cattle industry is tracking. We've talked in the past about how many cattle producers in Brazil are up in the Amazon, and those cattle producers technically are raising cattle illegally. They're not allowed to be grazing cattle in the jungle. And Brazil has laws about that, but what they don't have is any way to track whether or not those cattle were actually grazing in the Amazon. And it was announced by their ag minister earlier this week that they are going to begin studying ways to better track these cattle. This comes on the heels of Brazilian President uh, Ignacio del Silva promising to crack down on environmental crimes, and he has identified cattle as uh, one of the main ways that uh, the deforestation of the Amazon continues to grow. Though they do note, quote, the format and the model is up for discussion, though they are going to be looking at electronic as well as physical paperwork ways to try and track these cattle in and around Brazil so they can better correspond with their export demands. Speaking of export demands, folks, another percolating story in the world of agriculture that directly pertains to U.S. corn growers is the pending Mexican import challenges for GMO corn. If we recall, back in 2020, they announced they were going to ban the import of GMO yellow corn beginning in January 2024. That has since been rolled back a little bit. Now they've said they're going to uh, allow their livestock feeders to continue to import it, but they are going to try to keep GMO corn out of food. And that is their now goal. U.S. Uh, trade experts have said they are that the Mexican government is turning its back on science with regard to this ruling. However, the Mexican officials came out after these trade consultations were requested, and they said that uh, the Americans are putting a, quote, unacceptable violation of Mexican law and that they are working on behalf of, quote, seed oligopolies. And that's according to a top Mexican official late last week. This discussion will be ongoing for the better part of the next year. That January 1st deadline is still in place, but as we mentioned, it is a much softer deadline than it was initially when the Mexican government proposed this rule. And we've got news for farmers in Iowa. There is a new fee coming for Iowa farmers. This is going to go to replenish the grain indemnity fund. So this is a fund that the state of Iowa has. Many other Midwestern states have similar type programs. The idea is farmers all chip in a portion of their sales. This money sits in a fund. And then should a grain dealer or warehouse go broke and not be able to pay farmers back for their purchases, this fund would reimburse farmers up to 90% of a $300,000 loss. And over the past year, there have been three different dealer and warehouse bankruptcies in Iowa, and that has depleted 
the dollars in this fund. So the state of Iowa has now said they will be bringing this fee back. It will come back into phase for now as of June 1st, although several legislators, excuse me, July 1st, although legislators are looking to push that back potentially. Stay tuned. Tomorrow we'll be talking the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association, looking at all the ways that corn drives demand around the world. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then for more KOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.